Well, good morning. I keep talking about the Trinity today, so at some point, I think, it's hard to know where I'm going to take us today, but I know at some point we'll probably get to Matthew 3, but uh, it might not be to the very end, so uh, uh, just know that. Um, just as far as just cool things to, that are happening and praying for and such is the... Um, the prayer meeting on Friday oh, it sounded like it was an amazing blessing. Um, a number of you have said you were praying for us, and I can tell you, while, while I think we were too tired on Friday, but we were praying for you all too, but uh, Saturday morning, man, the Lord spoke to both of us in really unique ways, and we attribute that to the fact that you guys were praying. You also prayed for the leadership. You prayed for the future pastor, whoever God has raised up, and... Uh, uh, just a lot of cool things. One of the things I love about what happened was, you know, the, the elders and their wives were all praying. And they got their hearts all in unity with you all and the Lord. And then they were able to come together and in unity make a decision uh, about a search committee. And uh, I probably should say in case somebody's, I don't know if anybody knew it, um, God has called Marcy and, I, uh, uh, Marcy and I to leave CFC. It's not because we're burnt out, mad, disgruntled, no sin, um, nothing like that. He just said, leave, like, much like he said to Abram. And he said, go to the place that I will show you. And so he hasn't shown us yet, if you want to know. Uh, we're still, it's still pretty foggy out there, but uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been interesting as he continues to even use that in our lives to learn how to walk by faith. But in our walk by faith, or uh, obedience to the Lord. We've obviously put CFC in that kind of place of an all-in faith experience, and it's neat to see what's happening. I'm really proud of our, the leadership here. Um, proud. It was fun. We met with the deacons and just their insight and wisdom and love for this church. All very, very exciting. So with that, why don't we just have a prayer, and we'll just ask a prayer for the church and then a prayer for the blessing upon the word. Father, we thank you that you love us. Your love is overflowing, Jesus, right onto us. And in that, Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in the midst here. I thank you for people who would carve out time on a Friday to come and seek you and pray and uh, intercede on the behalf of the church a pastor they do not know yet, and a pastor and a wife that they do. And we thank you for them. We thank you for leadership who is seeking discernment, not just business wisdom, but discernment. What do you have for them, Lord? And you're leading them. Thank you for deacons who serve and who love this body and who have great wisdom and humility. And we ask you to bless them as well. We pray, Lord, for this pastor mean he has a wife, Lord, but we pray, whoever this is, that you are preparing him and that in humility he is dependent upon you and therefore he will come with a passion, your passion, for this flock and for you. And Lord, we just pray in advance that you will raise him up and it will be clear for both him and the church that he is the one to lead CFC to the next place. 
And so, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that who have invited us in to your dance. So, Lord, will you help this very weak person, but in that weakness, your strength be made perfect. In your name, amen. All right, so we're talking about the Trinity which is that weird concept that most of us get really awkward about, and if somebody were to come up on the street and say, do you believe in the Trinity, we'd probably just want to run. I don't know, it's like, yeah, okay, explain it. Anybody, you know, it's like, hey, but, nah. you know, we can, it's one of those doctrines that is kind of a little strange. It's, it's like we have the Father's God, the Son's God, the Holy Spirit's God, but wait, there's only one God. And so all of a sudden we get these like brain hernias talking about the Trinity, trying to figure this out. And, uh, but we looked last week that, you know, our starting point with the Trinity really is, well, I, I'm just going to skip the Son just for now, but it's technically how we get there. But if we just start with the Father, that God has always been Father. And in that, He's always been loving. And He's been loving the Son for all eternity past, all eternity future. The Father has been pouring out love. And in that, he's been pouring out the Son. The Son will respond, obviously. He is the beloved, and therefore he responds to the Father out of love. And that all takes place with the Holy Spirit negotiating that and being involved in that whole process. We're going to look at the Spirit a little closer today. And out of that love, see, because we have a three-person God, Three person, one God. We don't have some of the issues that other people have who have a one person God. If you're a one person God and you are, have, were living for eternity past and you're loving, how do you, is that just self love? If it's just self love because there's no one else to love, then why create? What good is it? And if it's, you're loving, but you don't have anyone to love, then you're not complete. If you need to create people to be loving, then you're not complete in your love. And therefore, you're really not God. See, we don't have that issue. We have a God for all eternity that was Father loving His Son. And the Son, in return, was loving the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we don't have that. And it's out of the Father, it's out of the Son, it's out of the Holy Spirit that He became creator and ruler. And we're going to look at a little bit of that again today. We have to do some heavy lifting here. This is the time, if you want to sleep, this is the best time, because we're going to get deep. You've got to hopefully get a good night's sleep, got a little coffee in you, we've got to do, we, we're even going to a creed, we're going to talk through things. And, and all we're going to do is we can't, my opinion is, the Trinity is not illogical, but it's above logic. I mean, it's, it's at a level that we don't fully understand. So all we can do, because we're three-dimensional plus time, we're not in, uh, eternal beings, we're not, we don't have access to other dimensions, we can just put up fences about what is true. And, and that's what most of the creeds things do of, hey, here's when you cross this fence, you, you're an heir. So this is just what I put up last week, but this, well, there's a book that, honestly, if you're into this kind of stuff, I, I, I don't, you know, it's hard for me to say, is it 
is it heavy or is it deep? I, um, maybe. I mean, you're going to have to think through it, but I don't think it's like a theologian, because this, guy, this is a theologian with a heart. And when you find a theologian with a heart, most of the time you can, you can relate to it. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, I highly recommend this book. So here's from my theology book, though, from my theology professor 100 years ago. Here's what we, we always were learned, that there's the threeness and oneness of God are not in the same respect. One, the oneness of God, refers to being, to the being or essence of God. It's the unity. So there's an essence, one essence. The other refers to the nature of his personality, threeness. That probably doesn't help us, but those are some of the fences. In, um, gosh, I think it was around between three and 400 A.D., Athanasius uh, lived. And he was this Egyptian uh, bishop who realized that Arius was preaching a bad gospel, but the problem was Arius, his theology was winning, that Jesus was created. And that was the theology of the time. Athanasius stood up and said, that's heresy. Now, it's the way everybody thought. It was the dominant theology. And he began to argue and argue. Four times he got, or five times, he got exiled. I mean, where he was pushed out of his church and pushed out of uh, his country because they thought he was the heretic. But he kept fighting and fighting because he knew if that is correct, then the gospel is gutted. Because if he's not God, then there is no divinity to help us. We needed the perfect Lamb of God, the divine God, to be on that cross, as well as a man. And he fought, and he fought, and eventually, a hundred or so years later, they named this creed after him because of his hard work, because he eventually he won. Um, they called him the Black Dwarf. I mean, they just were nasty people that didn't like him. Um, but here's the opening line. Whoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith. Now, that does not mean Roman Catholicism. That means all-encompassing or universal. It's the faith that binds the entire church together. So you're going to see that a few times. Don't think Roman Catholic. Think universal or all-encompassing. So that if you're going to be saved, this is what they're saying, you need to hold this faith. And what is that Catholic faith? that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. One God in Trinity, the Trinity in unity. Again, it's hard to, but they're setting up fences for us. Now I'm just gonna go and I'm just gonna spotlight that I'm not doing the whole creed, but I'm doing a, a little bit of it so you can see how they're trying to work through this so we can. Oh, by the way, it's that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons, mixing them up, making the, the, the um, I, uh, you know, there's just, we can mix them up, nor dividing the substance. Um, we somehow get into three gods, not one. For there is one person of the Father. Now, when we say person, we're not talking about human. We're not talking about human. We're not talking about a, There are three people. We're talking about they have the characteristics of personhood. There's one person of the Father. 
another of the Son and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead, that's unity, of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal, meaning all of them have existed together. So like, here's how they're trying to work this out. Look at this. So likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, and the Holy Spirit almighty, and yet they are not three almighties, but one almighty. See how they're working through this? Doesn't this stretch our brains a little bit? Remember, this isn't illogical. It's called supra uh, logic. Something that his thoughts are way above our thoughts. So the Father is God, the Son is God, Holy Spirit is God. And yet, they are not three gods, but one God. Again, do you see these fences they're trying to put up? And likewise, the Father is Lord, the Son Lord, Holy Spirit Lord, and yet not three lords, but one Lord. And then skipping down a little bit, for as we are compelled by Christian verity, to acknowledge each person by himself to be both God and Lord. So we are also forbidden by the universal religion to say that there are three gods or three lords. The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Son is of the Father alone, not made nor created, but begotten. Now that word begotten, we got to talk about that real quick. This is what Arius and others have always used. Even some current uh, religions will pick this out and say, well, if he's begotten, he's been created. That's not what that word means. And it's an unfortunate word that the King James picked up and all these creeds picked up when they were translated. Your translation, if you were to look up John 3.16, your probably modern tra- translation may, uh, may say begotten, or may say, in the, uh, if it says begotten, it'll probably have a, a little note there that says uh, uh, like one of a kind or the only one or and it and it's the word there is from mono and genus one kind one of a kind and it's always relational so when we say begotten the son is begotten it means that he is unique the one of a kind his relationship with the Father, the Father is constantly in relationship with him like no one else. He has constantly begotten him, relating to him as a unique, one of a kind. No one else can experience this relationship. It's one of a kind. And the Father is constantly in that relationship with the Son. Hence, he's begotten. The Father initiates love to the Son. Hence, he's begotten. The Holy Spirit is of the Father. He's not made either, just like Jesus. Nor created like both, Father and Son. Now, he's not begotten, but proceeding. Huh? The Spirit proceeds out of the Father, from the Father. That's his uniqueness. He proceeds. He's power. He stirs. He, he, he creates life. He, he brings love. And we'll look at that. But they're trying to, trying to make sure that the people understand who this God is. And in the Trinity, none is before or after another. 
meaning there's no ranking, none is greater or less than another, but all three persons are co-eternal together and co-equal, meaning they've always existed together eternally. So that in all things, as was mentioned before, aforesaid, the unity in the Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. So, sometimes I think we've been so afraid of this concept of the Trinity that we don't know what to say half the time. Should I pray to God? Should I pray to the Father, Son, Spirit? What, what's going uh, They're like, no. It, just always keep in mind. Three, one. Three persons, one God, one essence. He, therefore, that will be saved must think of thus the Trinity, that we need the Trinity. If we didn't have the Trinity, and, and, I, and I'll hit a little bit of it this week, but next week I'm going to try to hit more salvation and then how this Trinity helps us in our life, living the Christian life. But, so, I just want you to know, this is kind of heavy, kind of like, you know, really? But hang on with me, because I think by the time we get to the end, here's my prayer for all of us. That we get to experience God this morning. So I need you to hang on for a little bit longer, that you literally feel his presence and that bold, but we're allowed to. So I really want you to know. In fact, let's do this. I know what we're going to do. If you would like to experience God this morning, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, if you'd like to experience him, then let's take a moment and slow down, and let's pray. And if you really would like to, would you just open your heart to the Lord, ask him to hold anything that would keep you back, and then just say, Lord, I'd like to experience you this morning. All right? So let's just take a moment. You do your own prayer. Spirit, we can't do this apart from you. And so we are opening up our hearts and our lives to you. Lord, for those who are scared or skeptical, Lord, there's no fear in your love. So let them experience your love. But in the end, Lord, you came to be experienced. So we would like to experience you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, you ready? Let's keep going. Let's what. So let me just hit a slide we did last week. So what was God doing before creation? Now he existed eternally past. What was God doing? Well, we use this verse as our, as our kind of a real foundational verse. We know God is love from 1 John 4, but here's what Jesus said the Father is doing. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am and to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Before anything was here, the Father is loving the Son. He's always been, if God is love, then he's existed in that. And, but he's had an object, God the Father's had an object of his love. It's been the Son. And the Son, in response, loves back. That's the way it's been going. And the Spirit is in there. Again, we're going to see this in just a second. We'll see his role. But he's right in there. 
Here's what Michael Reeves says. I'm going to quote him a few times because a few of these passages just like get me so excited. So in creation, to be the father then means to love, to give out life, to beget the son. Remember, initiating, continuing the relationship, the unique relationship that he has with his son. Before anything else, for all eternity, this God was loving, giving life, Two, and delighting in his son. He was loving his son. He was giving life to his son. And he was delighting in his son. He was constantly pouring in to his son. That's what was going on before anything ever came here. And they just existed in a constant relationship. And we know out of that relationship came creation. They didn't need creation to be loving it flowed out of the fact that they were already loving. And it was so overflowing that Jesus, the, the Father created the earth really as a, uh, Jesus kind of a template of being loved and that over, but also it was for him that he might love and overflow his love to others like the Father overflows his love to the Son. So that's what creation, that's what's going on. So we don't have to worry again that, you know what? Our God was loving, so he had to create the world to be loving. Well, that means he wasn't complete. Therefore, it makes it very difficult. So what was the Holy Spirit? Now, I I didn't talk a lot about him yet, so let's talk about him. Because he kind of, you know, we get Father and Son, right? That's kind of a relationship we kind of understand. Then the Holy Spirit. It even made worse that the King James used to call him the Holy Ghost. Ooh, you know, it's like, ooh mystery, you know, boo, you know, ah, Holy Ghost is here, ah. you know, I mean, what, I, it's kind of a strange thing, but that's what they used to call him, and uh, I like spirit, obviously, better, but what has he been doing throughout eternity? He seems like the odd man out, doesn't he? It's kind of like third wheel of the Trinity, you know, it's like, ah, he's not, he's not, he's so significant, but we have to understand it, by the way, father and son are just terms for God. They're, they're important terms, and we, there's a delicate balance, but, you know, at, at some level, they're just, they're, they're terms to help us understand their relationship. Um, but they're not bound by some of the same rules, like the son's never been created. He's always been. So that doesn't, that's hard for us to cut. So they're not like no other father or son we understand, but they are a model for uh, the, what we have in our relationships, you know, in, in families and, and such, but there's so much more. But the Spirit is a person just like Father and Son. You know, I've heard people call the Spirit it before. Ah, again, I understand that. I mean, I, you know, it's hard to understand. You know, the fascinating thing that I always, when I was studying in uh, seminary Greek, uh, you know, the, the word spirit is pneuma. Pneuma is uh, 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 neuter, meaning it's not feminine or masculine. It's, so the proper pronoun for it would be it. Not he or she, it would be it. But the authors understood, of Scripture understood he was a person because they always incorrectly, if you would, put he with the spirit. They put the pronouns of he. Why? Because they knew he was a person. He has all the characteristics of personhood. We can develop that, but just know 
He's as much of a person as the Father and the Son. So look at this. God's, this is for us, but it shows us something about the Holy Spirit's role. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured out into, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, His love has been poured into your heart. Literally, poured. Poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit. How does God's love get to us? The job of the Holy Spirit is to bring tangibly love to us. That's one of his jobs. It's always been his job. That's who God uses to bring love to us, and it's also who God the Father used to bring love to the Son, and the Son to the Father. By the way, what happened at the, um, if you're open to Matthew 3, you can look at it, but we'll get to it later, but when the Spirit descended like a dove and landed on Jesus, that was tangible love coming down on the Son. And the words then were spoken that validated what took place there, that the Spirit had descended and now rested on Jesus so Jesus would always know his identity as one whom the Father loves. The Holy Spirit brought the Father's love tangibly down, and it's the way it's always been working. Why is the Holy Spirit there? Does the Father really need a middleman in this Jesus? They, for some reason, it's the way it's always been. And he has this vital role. Holy Spirit has been making known the Father's love experientially to the Son for all eternity. That's a true statement. When the Father wants to love the Son, the Holy Spirit goes forth. And it's constantly happening. And the Spirit is constantly moving from Father, Son, Son to Father. And they're constantly responding in love. And it's just something that's been going on. It's called the divine dance. So what's the Holy Spirit? Let's just keep going. Let's look at this quote by Michael Reeves. This whole thing is all deeply personal, this whole Trinity thing. Look at this. The Spirit stirs up the delight of the Father and the Son and the delight of the Son and the Father, inflaming their love and so binding them together in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. For all eternity, the Spirit has been stirring up the Father's love and then going forth to express that. And he's doing the same thing with the Son. And that's what he's been doing. And hence, in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, he talks about the fellowship of the, of the Holy Spirit. One of his roles is just to create that constant community. Uh, one of the philosophers that Michael Reeves mentions talks about you know, the problem with a single-person God. There's a real problem there. Because if they're loving, then it's a self-love. Why create anything? If they need to create something to be loved, then they're not complete. So single-person God is really struggles, philosophically. A two-person God could be so insular that why would they reach out from themselves? But he says, if you have a three-person God, that becomes almost like a community. 
And therefore, they're constantly interacting one with another, one with two, one with... They're constant interaction. And it's out of that, this philosopher said, that the world was created. Because it was a community of love. And it overflowed into creation. They didn't need it. It was just an expression. They have always been outgoing in their love. And it only made sense to go out and create the world. He makes the Father's love known to the Son, causing him to cry, Abba, Daddy, something he will also do for us. Continuing the quote, and let's be clear that Abba is said with joy. For the Spirit so makes the Father known to the Son that the Son rejoices. And then he quotes Luke 10, 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Let's just look at this verse. He quotes this verse, doesn't, he, doesn't, he just mentions the reference, but let's look at this. And because you are sons, children, sons and daughters, children of God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The spirit of his son. Do you realize you have the spirit of his son? The one who cried, Abba, Father. The one who could say that with a full heart, knowing the Father, and he's put that in our hearts. Do you realize what we have? The only one that rightfully call him Abba, Father. The only one that had a right now gives us the right to cry, Abba, Father. Spirit's always been bringing love and life. Let's go to Jesus, our high priest, as we still connect with the Spirit. But now we're gonna get, now it's going to get fun. You ready? I hope it's been fun already, but I mean, probably deep, maybe not fun. Here's the high priestly prayer, John 17. That's what it's referred as. It's Jesus and the Father talking. I mean, truly, there have been times that I've read this, and it's been so holy. I know you guys can think I'm crazy, but I just thought, you know, in honor of that, I'm going to take my shoes off. Because <laughs> I, I just thought, you know, I feel, like it's so, I feel like I'm looking in on something that is so precious. The prayer of Jesus to his Father in John 17. But here he is in the midst of that prayer. That all of them. You know who that is? Verse 4 says, all those that will believe. That's you and me. Right here. We're mentioned in scripture right here. Isn't that cool? Just look up John 17, 20, and 21 and say, so you can point to anybody and say, see, I'm right there in scripture. Jesus prayed for me. Because that's what he's doing here. That all of them may be one, Father, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. See that invitation there? Wow. So that they may be brought to complete unity. We are being invited into the dance. But there's something else here, and this is where I really appreciate, Michael Reeves mentions this, and this is one of my, as we build this, my hallelujah moments. He connects this passage with Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. 
It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down onto the collar of his robe. You say, what is that? Is that? We just said it was a high priestly prayer, right? John 17. Jesus interceding on behalf of the people. Now we see this song where Aaron, the first priest of Israel, is connected with this idea of God's people living together in unity. And, and again, I'm, I haven't had a chance to meditate very long on this, but here's my first gut reaction to this, why these are connected. Before Aaron was anointed with oil, the people had no one to represent them before God. No one to intercede. They needed one person to go on their behalf in unity as a whole group to go before God. And unless they had the high priest anointed and Aaron, they were sunk. So at that moment when he was anointed and ready to go, it was the first time before God that they came as a unity. They, they came as one through Aaron. And they came one to be in a relationship with God, so now God is in unity with them. But wait, Jesus is our great high priest. He's, he's been anointed. In fact, let's let Michael Reeves... Give us his take. It all reveals what this God is truly like. The Spirit is the one through whom the Father loves, blesses, and empowers his Son. Remember, the Spirit is significant. Let's not kick him into some, some lesser role. He is so important. The Son goes out from the Father by the Spirit, and hence Jesus is known as the Anointed One, the Messiah in Hebrew, the Christ in Greek, for he is the one supremely anointed with the Spirit. So get that picture just for a second, just in your minds. Picture Aaron, maybe kneeling before Moses, and the oil. Consecrated oil is being poured out on his head. And it just keeps flowing. And it splashes down his head, down his neck, over his face. It begins to, to invade his collar, and it begins to soak his robe. Jesus was anointed with the Spirit, not with oil, but with the Spirit. That spirit came down on Jesus' head. And it flowed down to his body. And we are his body. The love of the Father which the Spirit brought down on the Son. And he was anointed with the oil of the Spirit. And it flowed down over him onto his body as a symbol that it is now flowing down upon us. We get the benefit of that Holy Spirit anointing, which is the love of the Father for the Son. Now the Son loves us, but now the Father loves us. And it's just covering his body as it flows through his head. We are the body anointed 
with the oil of the Holy Spirit who brings life and love. Oh, it gets better. Just wait. It's like a TV ad, isn't it? Look at this verse. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, now remember, we are flooded, Pentecost, the Spirit came upon the church and anointed the church, the body of Christ. And Jesus said, he's going to take what is mine and he's going to declare it to you. In case we didn't get it, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All right. You got Matthew 3 open? Let's make sure we understand this. Here, we're getting closer. Go, what we can, we're going to skip to 16. I'm going to put it up on the screen, but if you brought your Bible, I want you to stare at this passage. I want you to mark it, because we're coming back to it, and hopefully we'll come back to it this week. I want to wait till you all get there. I don't want anybody cheating. Here's, we talked about this passage last week, but look at this. When Jesus was baptized, immediately went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, the love of God, tangibly coming down. That's what the Spirit has always done. We're, we're, everybody got to witness it. And the Spirit resided on him, anointed him at that point, the Messiah, the Christ. And the love that was on him now is being validated. And behold, a voice from heaven, that's the Father, said, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Are you ready? Jesus is going to take what is his and give it to us. The anointing has flown from his head to his body, and we are now the body of Christ. Did you know? Did you know that that is yours? Do you know that that is yours? That the Father will look at you and Jesus will look at you and say, you're my beloved daughter. You're my beloved son. I'm so pleased with you. I love you but wait, I sinned this week. He can't be pleased. Oh, he does. He does. He is pleased. He's pleased that you have been bought with a price. He's pleased that he has paid the price for all our sins, that we, God, he paid for the wrath of God, Jesus did, so that now he doesn't look at us when we sin in anger. He wants to minister to our hearts. He sees things that are going on in our life that we don't understand. I think it's in, uh, I know it's in Anatomy of the Soul. I can't think of the author right now. But he has an exercise with this. And I've done it. And I invite you, I know for some of you this may be a little freaky, but why not try it? He says to in your mind's eye, just relax and go to a, your favorite place where you just can relax, be calm, enjoy. Most of us, it's probably somewhere outside. Somebody, it could be a library, I don't know. But just 
and then just imagine. Or, you know, go a little farther, let the Lord speak these words over you. You want to do it? Let's try it. Spirit, we need help. But if you, Jesus, are taking what is yours and giving it to us, then Spirit, these words are true about us. You're speaking these words over us. We are in a relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So just slow down for a second and just imagine those words being spoken over you. Or let the Lord speak those words over you. If you're resisting anything, ask him if whatever you believe there is true. He may say something beyond those words. It's okay. Is that it conforms to Scripture? Mm, Father, your love. can't even fathom how much you love the Son, how many times the Spirit has stirred your heart and then gone forth from you to the Son and Spirit, then you stir up the Son and it goes back in your power and life and love just keep flowing through you to both Father and Son as they keep expressing and it goes on and on and on and that you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have invited us in that Jesus, your great love for us, that you took our sins and paid the price, that we might be called children of God, that the oil of anointing of the Holy Spirit is flowing from Jesus to us, that we might experience amazing love like we've never experienced before. that we are the beloved of God, each person here, and that we may be able to live in that versus something strange and unusual that we have to earn that love. That we are constantly disappointing you, that you are always angry. That is not you. you purchased us with your very own blood that we might live in relationship with you not out of fear cowering but being loved therefore we love you 
We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one God. We thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. In your name, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of the Father, amen. Worship team, come on up.